Welcome back to the Revelation On Demand podcast, a podcast to bring you Revelation from the Bible. I'm your host, Justin D. Myers, and I'm doing pretty well today. Uh, we're starting to record now, or we, I'm starting to record now in the afternoon or at night, so I feel a lot more awake and probably brings a lot more attitude to this. So as far as I can tell, not sure where Chris is. Uh, keep keep your prayers out for him because uh I haven't heard anything from him at all. So if you're listening to this, Chris, uh, you know, talk to me, man. Like whatever you're into, it can't be that bad. A little bit of news. Uh, Last time I said that our new, our newest son is going to be named Owen Micah. Well, uh, since then we kind of had a feeling from God that maybe, maybe that's the incorrect name and maybe we should actually make his first name Micah. So now we're kind of sitting at looking at like Micah Chase. So, Chase is a is a family name for my my father's side of the family, so it would actually be kind of a nice little homage to that side of the family. And of course, as we talked about, Micah's means "who is like God," which is a pretty cool name, if you ask me. So, last time we were in Isaiah chapter two, and it was talking a lot about how Isaiah was was talking about the sins of of Judah and Israel and all this this area around there, the people he he serves. So we got a good walk through of of Jerusalem's sins and all that. And today we're going to be moving into Isaiah three, which is going to be more of the same. But this uh, the next two chapters focus on a military defeat. So we'll be talking a lot about Jerusalem in there their defeat militarily and as we get into it they're talking about a siege in this chapter in particular this chapter is definitely going to look a lot at how war changes people's priorities and exactly what kind of effects war will have on jerusalem in specific and then first half of really focus and it's not so much a half it's more like two-thirds of the chapters like verse 16 or something like that but uh verse 15 the first chunk focuses mostly on Judah's leaders. So this would be the people that I was talking last time who did all these terrible things that, you know, were bringing down the judgment of, of God upon Jerusalem and Judah. And then the second half focuses on what they, he calls the daughters, excuse me, daughters of Zion. And this would be all the people in Jerusalem and, and Judah that are left over after these, these leaders and everything are removed. So it's a very feminine connotation because it's usually it's as we get into it, it's talking about how it's mostly the youth and the women who are left after this judgment upon the leadership, which have been mostly men. And it's just something to keep in mind that the scripture is definitely set in the time that's talking about leadership as being as a more masculine role and then as feminine being the more passive role. But again, we need to keep in mind that this is a culture that was very male dominant and very male forward. The man of the household was the provider and all that. So we got to keep that in mind because we live in a much more egalitarian time where men and women share many of the same roles. So just something to keep in mind as we move forward in today's chapter, this first chunk is longer than the second chunk. So if you stay with me as we go through Isaiah 3. See now, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support, all supplies of food and all supplies of water, the hero and warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of fifty and the man of rank, 
the counselor, the skilled craftsman, and the cleaver enchanter. I will make mere use of their officials. Children will rule over them. People will oppress each other, man against man, neighbor against neighbor. The young will rise up against the old, and nobody against the nobody against the honored. A man will seize one of his brothers in his father's house and say, You have a cloak. You be our leader. Take charge of this heap of ruins. But in that day he will cry out, I have no remedy. I have no food or clothing in my house. Do not make me the leader of the people. Jerusalem staggers. Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. Tell the righteous it will be with the... Tell the righteous it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, disaster upon them. They will be paid back for what their hands have done. Youths oppress my people. Women rule over them. My people, your guides, lead you astray. They turn you from the path. The Lord takes his place in court. He rises to the judge. He rises to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment against the elders and the leaders of his people. It is you who have ruined my vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding their faces, the faces of the poor, declares the Lord Almighty. One small edit. I said cleaver enchanter. I meant to say clever enchanter. I was very confused on what a cleaver enchanter was. So if you were too, you're not the only one. Anyways, they're talking about enchanters as in people who cast spells on items and stuff like that. So, um, Carrying on, that was very confusing for me. I had to go look it up just to make sure that I was reading that correctly. In fact, I was reading it incorrectly. So, so we start out with the, the high title, the Lord Almighty, and all that. And in the notes that I was taking, it talks about the title being Yahweh of Hosts, and it's often a military title where it's we're talking about a siege. In this this time, Judah was under siege by Assyria. And of course, during a siege, uh, when you're under siege, it's very important to have, uh, you know, resources and everything. So right there off the beginning, it's, it's bringing up how God is commander of an army they should actually be worried about, not the army that's at their gates. And we see that uh, here it uses Jerusalem and Judah in the same sentence. And it's because in the Hebrew, there's a masculine and a feminine form for these words so it's really talking about all the people in this place not just one or the other as i said at the beginning it starts off talking about the leadership and the more male centric uh part of of jerusalem and then it talks more about the people who are left over after that leadership has been taken care of and uh it says all support would be removed including food and water which is again in a siege food and water if you carefully plan and, and have stores of food and water, then you could sustain a siege for a very long time. But if you were poor at planning or you didn't have a good uh, supply of food and water, then it would be very difficult for the city in a siege and would often break the city uh, sooner the less food and water they had. In fact, this was such a critical thing that, like most cities, Jerusalem had a water source just outside of the city walls and and 701, this was such a big strategic thing that the king Hezekiah actually built a tunnel or kind of an aqueduct that would bring the source of water into the city so that they wouldn't have to uh, 
they wouldn't have to open gates or anything. They would always have a source of fresh water. Now, food, on the other hand, is harder to you know keep in in stores and whatnot. So um, it was it was definitely one of those things. But um, we can live a lot longer without water or without food than water. So if you have a f- constant, steady source of water, and especially if it's a protected source that is really hard for the enemy to disrupt or to break off, or if you had a really good, really good place to build, you build on top of a spring or something like that, where you'd always have a source of fresh water. So we got all these titles right here in the beginning. And it, it goes through a bunch of different titles, and that's where the Cleaver, or excuse me, Clever Enchanter was too. But all these titles carry with them some some sort of air of authority in that time period. So as we can see, the titles given are Hero and Warrior, the Judge, the Prophet, the Diviner, the Elder, Captain of Fifty, Man of Rank, Counselor, Skilled Craftsman, Clever Enchanter. So these are all big kind of leadership roles in in any city at that time. So it's literally pointing, he's literally pointing the finger at all the leadership in Jerusalem and Judah for, for this section and saying that you will all be removed. And then it starts talking about youth and how the boys would be the ones who left to take over leadership. And in, in this culture, again, uh, with the male centric kind of leadership, it would be very insulting to anyone who is listening to this to tell them that their city or their country or their town or whatever, their family even, was going to be run by uneducated boys and women. So this would have been extremely insulting in that time. I think to this day, it would still be pretty insulting to say that, you know, the youth, and I mean, when they say youth, they're talking about kids like teenagers and younger, not really these young adults, but teenagers and youngers that are going to be taking over and and leading in places that wiser, older people should actually be in. So verse five is alluding to a kind of anarchy that will be present as it was before Jerusalem had a king. Uh, if you, we've talked a little bit about that that section. Uh, we haven't really gone over it, but I've mentioned it several times. Where Jerusalem at one point decided that they needed a king, like every other nation, to lead them and guide them and rule over them, and God begrudgingly kind of gave him this. They're like, he was like, "All right, fine, but you're going to, you know, be slaves to his whims. You're going to have, be oppressed by him, basically." So in this time, uh, it's much later where Jerusalem is much more used to having a king and whatnot. So he's saying, or Isaiah is saying, like, now there's going to be no king. There's not going to be anyone to hold the rule of law, to hold, you know, the standards that you're used to. So it will be like the time before when every man's for himself and nobody has the protection of the law, basically. And then it was talking about this this weird place where it's like, here, you have a cloak, you be our leader. And that's basically alluding to that the the standards for leadership will be so low that anyone with a cloak, and if you've you've studied anything about uh, cloaks in this, this time period, there was actually a law in Deuteronomy that you're not allowed to take a man's cloak as as collateral sort of thing, or or as a uh, what's the word? As a pledge, there we go. That's that's kind of what, that's what I was looking. For. Pledge. You were not allowed to take a cloak as a pledge overnight, so because this would be most of the poor people's. Every everyone would have a cloak at this time, and the poor people who have to live outside and don't have a dwelling or anything like that, a cloak would be the only thing that would protect them from the uh, elements. So very much a cloak was something that almost everyone had, even the poorest of people. 
So when it's saying that, um, you know, this person with a cloak, you take over, it's saying that the standards will be so low that anyone will be picked out to be a leader, which would be uh, pretty disastrous. I, I would think most people today even would say that having a leader who knows what they're doing or at least has experience in the area that they're leading in would uh, would be something that they would look for in a leader. They would appreciate it in a leader. They wouldn't want just anyone to be their leader or their boss or whatever. Whoever's you know taking the point, or if they know nothing about whatever they're taking point on, it's very obvious and it's very frustrating for anyone trying to work with them or work under them or yada, yada, yada. So this is very much talking about that there's going to be no real men of leadership left after this because all those men of leadership have failed so terribly. They failed Jerusalem so terribly that they're going to be removed. And when he says removed, they're going to be destroyed, basically. And after the comment on the person is like, you have a cloak, you go lead. We have the response from that person is like, no, I don't want to lead. I don't, I don't have any remedy. I don't know what to do. And the commentary that I was looking at says no one wants to lead because there's nothing left to do but bandage the wounded because this town was destroyed and all the leaders were wiped out. So only thing left to do is take care of the wounded and whatnot. And I think it also means more like this town is in ruin and they don't know how to fix it. I think it's not just they don't want to bandage the wounded. But of course, bandaging and taking care of the wounded and, and the poor and the sick, that was typically something that was expected out of the leadership of the time, especially when they're supposed to be following the laws of God that talk a lot about helping the sick and the poor and making sure that they are well taken care of, even if they don't have everything that everyone else has, they're still not uh, being left to die, basically. And then we have this talk of staggering and falling, and we see that uh, it's talking about how Judah is in open rebellion against God, and they had trouble of even following God to begin with. As of course, if you ever read the Old Testament, you know how constantly Israel is, is or Jerusalem, whatever, the, the group of people, Judah, is constantly trying to follow God, they follow them for a bit, then they get off on their own things, and they start following other things, and they don't do the correct things anymore, and they're not taking care of the poor, and they're not you know, doing the things that they're called to do by God. And then we see that God gets angry, and he you know, adjusts them, basically. And Isaiah is talking about this being a very, very critical adjustment that's going to happen to these people. And then, of all things, he brings up Sodom, which anytime Sodom is brought up after Genesis is as a reference to uh, you know, God's judgment. And if God's judgment was so harsh on these people, then it's going to be just as harsh on you. Often it's like, you know, the judgment on Sodom was nothing like what's going to happen here. Or in this case, it's like the same thing that happened in Sodom is going to happen to you guys. And we see that he is, you know, made, drawing the parallels between Judah and Sodom, which is never a good thing. And then we have this small reprieve where it says, you know, the righteous rejoice and, and they will be well with rewarded. It's a good place to remind ourselves that even if it looks like evil and wicked people are getting ahead or, or, you know, succeeding in life or, you know, getting everything they ever wanted, it's a good thing to remember that those who do things against the Lord's will or do not follow the Lord they will get what they deserve and this evil will be paid back in full. So the people of the righteous are called to, you know, grin and bear it. You will, you'll be 
on the day of judgment, you will be rewarded well. And it's the nice thing to know that that's why when we have like the common law where it's uh, or innocence until proven guilty, because we'd rather let a guilty man go than to convict an innocent man. It's good to know that we have that safety net that even if a guilty man is, you know, let free, he will get what he deserves at some point down the road. Even if it's not immediate vengeance is the Lord's, not ours. It's a good thing to keep in mind, especially when we're talking about how evil a place like Judah is at this time that Isaiah is writing about it. So as we round this out, the elders are being judged out or being judged because of their lack of leadership or their, their terrible leadership and oppression of the people, their mistreatment of the poor and lowly. So we see that the leadership is going to be removed and in their place is going to be untrained youths, which is again, very offensive to the masculine culture at the time, especially the, the, the kind of people that, Isaiah was actually talking to. And then right at the end of this section, Judah is referred to as God's vineyard and how the people of Judah, the leaders have trampled it and, and wrecked it and all this stuff. And there's, there's many times where uh, vineyards are brought up and it's talking about how, you know, a good vineyard will make good fruit. And then often there's some, some people who are mistreating it or abusing it or using it incorrectly. And then God has to do something about it. In this case, God's going to do something about this this vineyard. And we will see more of that in chapters to come, especially since Isaiah seems to like this, this imagery of calling uh, Judah a vineyard. So, continuing on with the verses in verse 16. The Lord says, The women of Zion are haughty, walking along with outstretched necks, flirting with their eyes, strutting along with swaying hips, with ornaments jingling on their ankles, Therefore, the Lord will bring swords on the heads of the women of Zion, and the Lord will make their scalps bald. In that day, the Lord will snatch away their finery, the bangles and headbands and crescent necklaces, the earrings and bracelets and veils, the headdresses and anklets and sashes, the perfume bottles and charms, the signet rings and the nose rings, the fine robes and capes and cloaks, the purses and the mirrors and the linen garments, and tiaras and shawls. Instead of fragrance, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of a well-dressed hair, baldness. Instead of fine clothing, sackcloth. Instead of beauty, branding. Your men will fall by the sword. Your warriors in battle. The gates of Zion will lament and mourn. Destitute, she will sit on the ground. This first section is a little, or this first part of this, this last section, a little comedic. It's kind of describing Judah as these kind of vain and in vain teenage girls who are more concerned with looking beautiful and being the the thing to see the the being in the view in the know in the you know being famous being flashy being adored and in kind of sought after and then we see that you know he's he's comparing this entire nation to being like that that they're they're just being flashy. They're concerned with how they appear, not how they act. They're concerned with how others think of them and not how God thinks of them. So we see that they're very self-centered. They're very narcissistic in, in the way they're acting. And this is what uh, Isaiah is, is, you know, criticizing the, the people who are not the leaders in this area. Like he's talking about the people who aren't the people in charge. 
these are your people, the main masses, the people who are following, the people who are doing all the other things around there. They're, they're the ones who are so concerned with this. Now, as we've heard in recent in previous chapters, excuse me, we see that there is people who are left in Jerusalem who are righteous and they will be, you know, they will get through this through with God's provision. But we are very much talking mostly about the people who have uh, really fallen away from God and stopped following him and doing the things that he's called us to do. Often, uh, prophets like to describe Judah as a woman who has broken a marriage covenant or daughters who are despairing their father. And we very much get this when we see that Judah is is um, not doing the things they're supposed to, and again, this is this is the prophets trying to be a little bit insulting to the men in the area. Like they're they're trying to say, "Hey, you're acting like like a woman." And again, it's very much an insult in this culture where it's very male centric, where you know the marriage covenant was was sacred, and if a woman broke it, it would often cause the woman's death, or if a woman disobeyed her father it was very very you know looked down upon so we see that he's the prophets like isaiah and him himself are using this as a you know intentionally being offensive to this culture like they're saying you are being that that idolatrous woman you are being the or adulterous woman you're being that disobeying daughter to god because god is your husband, ex, or father. So we see that very much they are doing this to get their attention. I wouldn't dare to try and come up with something that would be just as offensive to, you know, modern American sensibilities. I don't know what, what vein would be that, that would be the same amount of insult that would, would strike an American in the same way, because we seem to be I mean, maybe, maybe talking about Americans' arrogance and stuff like that, but often you get just as many Americans to agree with how arrogant Americans are. So, I, I don't know what insult would 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 be so broad enough to insult Americans in the same way that this this kind of talking about Jerusalem, the Jerusalem of the time, as a woman who's doing these things, were so looked down upon. I, I really don't know. What and I, I don't know if I deign to come up with that because it would it would definitely probably get under most people's skin. And I mean that's the point. The prophet is trying to get under these guys' skin to to get them to wake up to realize that they're doing something completely you know terrible. So without going into too much detail, hair was a sign of fertility and often thought to be part of the the uh, uh, baby making process. So at this time. Um, so when it's talking about how they're they're doing all these crazy things to their hair and making it look more poofy or whatever, and then it's saying that the Lord will inflict them with boils on their heads and, and make them bald and make their hair fall out and all this stuff. It's literally saying that everything that they are so concerned about, everything that they're concerned that their 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 appearances will be, you know, torn away. They will the rot that is actually going on will be physical it'll appear to everyone around them so that they won't be able to keep up appearances any longer 
And then on top of this, there's also some uh, actual humiliation that's going on as well as this. Like they're going to be humiliated in how their appearances are going to become soured all of a sudden and all the truth will be exposed and all the stuff that they've put their, their trust in all the things they are proud of that will all be taken away and thrown away or blown away. And we'll see the true ugliness that is there. There's a parallel in the materials list. It's much like the leaders list at the beginning where it's talking about all these things that Jerusalem has put their faith in and that they are so proud of. And they have, they have, you know, done all these things to make better for themselves. And they're, they're proud of these things. They're, they're, they're really flashing these things off basically. And, He's bringing this all up because it's all going to be destroyed. And we see, you know, fragrance, there will be stench. Instead of a sash around the neck of rope, you know, the hair will be created bald. The clothing will turn to sackcloth, broody to branding. The men will die and all this stuff. And it's just talking about how all the things they think are good right now will just be ruined and destroyed and taken away from them in this time of judgment. And with the very final verse, we see that... It again is calling Judah by a, a, fe- a feminine term and also being humiliated, being destitute, just sitting on the ground, hopeless, and in in completely wrecked state. And with that, I think the takeaway for today is that we got to keep in mind as believers in Christ that we will be vindicated someday. Uh, revenge is the Lord's, and he will... He will take vengeance on those who deserve it, and he will give grace to those who ask for it. And we got to remember that even if justice is not done in our lifetime, it will come someday. In that every that that old cliche, every dog has his day. Everything that goes around comes around. I could come up with a bunch of cliches that everyone knows all about, but we got to keep in mind that. Even if we don't live to see the justice that we think needs to happen, there is a day coming, the day of the Lord, when that justice will be met out. And if we are correct in our judgment of the justice that needs to be met out, we will be fulfilled with that. Now, there may be times where we think we may think harsher justice needs to be met out than God believes, but that is god's decision to make not ours so uh, we need to not just stand aside and let oppression happen but we need to know that even if we do everything we can you know you you take every every step you can to legally uh, get back at someone or or administer justice with the law we got to remember that it is imperfect and that it is designed to let a guilty man go free before it convicts an innocent man. Now you could argue easily that today those laws have changed quite a bit and that maybe that, that uh, balance isn't so as, as optimal as it used to be where it was more, was more what we expected where uh, fewer innocent would be convicted and fewer guilty would be set free and maybe more guilty go free and more innocent are convicted these days. But we got to remember no matter what injustice we face that we will get true justice in the end times. Even if 
we fight and we lose and we don't get what we want and we don't see the justice that we want, one day everything will be made right. And that's the thing that I like to focus on, especially as, you know, us being Revelation on Demand, where we talk a lot about the end times and the things we get to look forward to in the next life. We need to remember that there will be perfect justice one day. That's something to look forward to and keep hope of. Thank you for listening to Revelation On Demand Podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you catch podcasts from. Please, if you like what we're doing, share this with a friend, family member, or someone from your church. It's a completely private venture and received no funding from any sources. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to contact me at revelationondemand at gmail.com. God bless, and see you next time. 